Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. This time, two themes from two listeners. One's about money. If you're happy with your job, how much does it matter if you don't get paid as much as the man who did it previously? For the person who says money is not everything, I would push back and then say, okay, if money isn't everything, what would you do if you didn't get your next paycheck? And say you're married to a guy who earns a lot more than you do. You see the women all around you giving up work to stay home with their kids. Should you join them? This is exactly how women have been socialized to think, that they're being selfish if they don't sacrifice their career ambitions for the family. Coming up, two sets of views on fair pay and whether to opt out. But first, this episode of the show is brought to you by Rightspeak Code. Rightspeak Code empowers women in technology. The Rightspeak Code conference is taking place in June in Chicago. It's where women in tech can learn to become speakers, thought leaders, and open source contributors. You can get tickets and sign up for news about the conference at rightspeakcode.com. And if your company would like to sponsor the event, the organizers would love to hear from you. All the information is at rightspeakcode.com. My first guest is Jaquette Timmons. Jaquette is an investment expert and an author and a financial behaviorist. She coaches people on their behavior around money and their attitudes to money. She was in a show I did a couple of years ago called Show Me the Money. The first question we're going to consider came after one of my listeners heard the final show of last year. It was called Redefining Success. And in that show, two women talked about leaving their old, lucrative work lives behind and starting anew. In both cases, they were earning less than they did before. So here's what the listener said in her email. If I look at my current position, I'm very successful based on what I've been able to accomplish and the perception of other people. I enjoy my work most days and I'm pleased when I can lead the university in efforts to improve the lives of students. That said, I am grossly underpaid compared not to my most recent predecessor who was female, but her predecessor, male. I'd be interested in a discussion on how far you push gender equality if you are indeed satisfied with everything else in the work environment. So I asked Jaquette, is it okay to rest on our laurels if we earn enough and we're happy with everything else? On one hand, you know, the short answer to that question is, well, yeah, of course you can. (laughs) Um, You can rest on your laurels if that is uh, sufficient for you. But obviously it isn't. Otherwise, she wouldn't be asking the question. And so I think in this particular case, what it comes down to is, have you really, really defined what good enough is for you individually? 
on many different levels. What's good enough for you in terms of compensation? What's good enough for you in terms of scope of work? And if you do that assessment and you walk away with everything that I have here is just fine, then you don't need to make any changes. But again, she says that's probably not the case here. This particular listener isn't the only one to have written to me saying, look, with women, it's about more than money. Another woman emailed saying women care about other things like flexibility. We're just not thinking in terms of every last dollar. What I love about exploring this topic is, well, we're not going to come up with an answer, but I like all of the different things that we can tap into to try to get to an answer or to several answers. And I think that at the end of the day, what I find really interesting is only people who have the privilege of saying that it's not all about money can actually say it's not all about money. So I think in having this conversation For the person who says money is not everything, I would push back and then say, okay, if money isn't everything, then what would you do if you didn't get your next paycheck? What would you do if the money that you have currently was no longer there? I think, I think you can only say that when you know you have a cushion, when you know, you know, it's almost like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Once you, once the, the bottom level um, is completely satisfied, then you can go up to the next level. And after that, I mean, the whole idea is that you get to the, the final pinnacle, if you will. And that's what the whole self-actualization, right, where you can focus on personal development and self-fulfillment and things of that nature. So if you're there, it's easy to say that something that is connected to um, a very basic way of living and being is perhaps immaterial than if you're not there. <laughs> um, so I would push back and say that I, I disagree with the whole idea that money doesn't matter, where I think the challenge is very real and it's something that we all have to work on is the degree to which we allow money to define who we are. And of course, no one's saying money doesn't matter. But for some women, it doesn't have to matter as much because they have a spouse who earns far more. We'll come back to that idea with the next question. On the other hand, plenty of women either support themselves or an entire family single-handedly or they end up parting from their higher earning spouse. As my next guest says, those scenarios should galvanize us. There was a recent Wall Street Journal article that talked about how women over 60 have to stay now longer in the workforce because they realized, oh my God, I don't have enough money for retirement. So women live a lot longer, but they make a lot less. And then with the economic uncertainty we face now, money matters more than ever. Jody Detchen is a professor of management at Suffolk University in Boston. She also runs Orange Grove Consulting. It specializes in women's leadership development. Some of you may remember her from an earlier show I did called Killing the Ideal Woman. Jody says there's another reason women should care about maximizing our earnings. So money also matters because it's a statement of our value in the workplace. So when we make less, then guess what? People assume that we're adding less value. But a lot of women don't think about that. In fact, when she and her co-authors were doing research for their book, The Orange Line, they found the women they interviewed, all women with good careers, they rationalised money actually didn't matter that much or it ought not to. 
It was almost as if money was dirty and they should aspire to nobler things than chasing a higher salary. She says another reason some women downplay the importance of money is because if money is important, that means we have to ask for more of it. We have to negotiate for ourselves. And a lot of us dread that. And we know from our research and from other others' research that women out-negotiate men when negotiating for the company. But we have been socialized not to bring our own needs into the equation. So we're not supposed to negotiate or ask for things for ourselves. And, but now there's a growing awareness of this. So there's been a lot of talk about this. And so as a result, it's becoming much more acceptable for women to negotiate for their salary. It still requires some finessing, but it's a lot easier. She gets clients to practice negotiating for smaller, more everyday stuff just so they get comfortable with the process. She's not saying we should devote ourselves to grabbing that last penny above all else. It's not an either or. Either I focus on money or I just live with what I've got and feel happy about it. What I'm saying is, is that money isn't the whole story, but it's still part of the story. So we still need to be paid what the job or the role or the work is worth. But that's the difference. Satisficing is when we're being paid less than the value of what we're bringing to the table. That's devaluating ourselves. So what we've been socialized to do is to say that we we can sacrifice. It's okay. We can satisfice. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to be paid commensurate value. So then once we get to that level, then we can start thinking about the other ways we'd redefine success. So she says if she were my listener, she would tackle this. Go to HR, make a case for why she should earn more, all depending to some extent on her work environment. But Jody says she and her predecessor are and were both being discriminated against. And even though Jody's emphasised negotiating here, she says it's not the ideal solution. The other thing that I would suggest is, is that as we move up in organizations and become better managers, or we become leaders in our organizations, then we can make pay, the pay thing a lot more transparent. Because the, the question that I always have is, why on earth do we have to negotiate for salary anyway? Why can't it be pretty clear why, why people make what they make? And the fact that we re- give people raises because they negotiate, to me, seems not very transparent at all. Just because somebody's a good negotiator, you get more money, that doesn't seem to be a very good evaluation of their value. So I think there's some systemic challenges here, but they're not going to be changed until women who do take a wider view get into positions of power and start making those changes. That idea of ending salary negotiations, it has been done at some companies. It's something the former acting CEO of Reddit, Ellen Powell, introduced while she was at the company last year. I emailed Reddit this week to find out if that practice was still in place, even though Powell has left. I hadn't heard back from them by the time I started putting the show together. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The next question came from a listener in Silicon Valley. She works for a nonprofit. Her husband is a big player at a famous technology company. They have one child. 
And she admits her issue is a problem of privilege. But I'm sure she's right that lots of other women are grappling with the same question. She says her husband's a great hands-on dad, but his career is on a tear. His job pays multiple times what hers does. And she says they've had problems navigating the dynamic caused by vastly different incomes. She says he's supportive of her career. But he's so successful, she's beginning to feel her career doesn't really matter by comparison. Meanwhile, all his male colleagues have stay-at-home wives. I was telling Jaquette about this, and I started a quote from the email. She likes her career, but she's beginning to question whether she is selfish for even wanting a job when her husband is earning so much more money and would clearly be able to do more if he had a stay-at-home wife. And she says she wants to support him. She's thrilled that he's doing so well and he's opening up a lot of opportunities for their family. But she's clearly feeling that they could achieve more as a family. She even says, you know, we could have another child if I was more available. You know, should I throw in the towel and stay at home to support his clearly more lucrative career? (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, I chuckle. And when I chuckle, I'm not being dismissive. Um, I chuckle because what I hear is that they're just not on the same page. Like they, they don't have from what you've described, they're not really operating as a team and they haven't come together to figure out, okay, as a team, what's the big picture goal and strategy that we're working on and working toward. And as a team, each team member plays a role. What's your role going to be in contributing to that overall vision and that overall big picture? And so I think, from what I hear her saying, it's not about we as much as it's about I. And I wonder if she were on the call with us, if I, you know, if I said to her, well, how would you think of this if you were looking at not doing the things that you say that you want to do for the next five years so that you can perhaps expand your family and ex- and perhaps give him the space to do even more with his career, which is bringing in a great deal of resources for you and not look at it as if I do that, then I'm giving something up and instead look at it as in doing that, this is my role. This is my contribution into the bigger picture and the bigger plan. Which I must admit, I was quite surprised to hear, but... Yeah, that's my view. Go into that a little bit more. I mean, the, uh, what is interesting to me is that she, she, to me, she's clearly feeling pressure. And you know these statistics, right? That the people who stay home, women who stay home are at, tend to be at one end of the socioeconomic spectrum. So those at the bottom end and those at the very top end. So some of the most educated women in the country actually end up staying home and looking after their kids. And I think she's seeing that all around her. And she's wondering, should I be one of those people? Well, see, that gets to the, the, the bigger issue. And I think the crux of it all for both the first question that you shared as well as this, and that is our tendency to compare ourselves to other people in other situations. And so we might feel really comfortable and confident with the decision or choice that we've arrived at but then begin to question the validity of that as we look around and we look at other people's choices. The problem is that we're looking at the part of the choice that we can see, but we're not 
looking at all of the things that someone may have take, taken into consideration to arrive at the choice that they've determined is best for them. Let me just go down because I, I wrote her and I said, oh, I'm going to be talking about your problem. And she wrote me a little follow up email. Yes, she says here, there's significant evidence that if I opt out, he will make more money and be more successful on his own than both of us working. My added flexibility would allow us to maximize our family income, his time off and possibly have another child. So despite all we've gained, is it still the more rational choice for women in higher income brackets to stay at home? (sighs) To me, that is... um... That is both a philosophical and a very personal question at the same time. And and the personal aspect of that question is, do you have a game plan in terms of then when you return to work? So if you say, all right, sweetheart, I'm going to agree to opt out and I will onboard at a later point in time. Do you have a predetermined time in mind as to when you're going to do that? And then as you are taking care of the home, are you doing, are you setting aside, even if it's just an hour a week, are you setting aside an hour a week to keep on top of your skills, to keep on top of your networking so that when it's time to on-ramp, you're not starting quote unquote from scratch to make that happen. It really is just a matter of being able to tap into your network and say, okay, I'm ready to jump back into this thing. And it's not going to be a huge learning curve for you to be able to do that. Jody Detchen agrees anyone taking a career break needs to stay connected to their industry or they'll risk their skills becoming obsolete. But she feels very differently on everything else. So first off, I think I'll start with the either or approach that women get stuck with in their career. When we look at our research, when we look at our work with women leaders, what we keep seeing is this big assumption that women are the primary one responsible for home and family, and so therefore career is secondary or a lower priority. So I've got to put my career on the back burner. Well, the subtext, of course, is that the husband's career is then primary. And we're doing some research now on men and careers, and of course, that's what men believe, that their responsibility is career and therefore home is secondary. But men aren't saying that they want this. And just like the listener's saying that she doesn't want this. So we got men and women both just assuming that this is the way it is, and they're both working under this constraint. So what the first question I have is, what would happen if we reframed this totally? To both our careers matter, and family is important to both of us. And you'll notice from that I'm not even mentioning money here. I'm saying both people want careers and both people want family. And if we reframe it to that's the premise for our career, and this is what my husband and I have done, and a lot of people that we interviewed as well, the husband's ambitions don't have to be swallowed and her ambitions don't have to be submerged. What needs to happen then is it's a negotiation. So here's that negotiation again. How do we make it happen? So it's not like her husband has to take all the air around the career. It's about saying, all right, here's what I need for my career. Here's what you need for your career. And here's what we need for the family. How do we accomplish this? And you figure it out. So on any given day, one person's career may take priority versus the others. But over a trajectory, we've both agreed that our careers are both important. So let let me go down to the point about being selfish. Now, selfish is such a great word because this is exactly how women have been socialized to think, that they're being selfish if they don't sacrifice their career ambitions for the family. And it's such a beautiful label because we put it on ourselves and it keeps us small. Oh, you're being selfish. Because immediately then our response is, okay, I have to sacrifice myself. And you can see it. So if you ever in a conversation and you see a woman talking about being selfish, watch what happens to her body. She'll scrunch in. It makes, she'll physically get smaller. 
So now imagine what would happen if we said, as women, our career matters. So imagine all the ideas, all our energy, all the impact, all the different ways the work is already changing because women are showing up for our careers. Imagine. And we already know that women, having women in leadership is good for business because there's all sorts of research that's coming in about that. It's good for the world. Keeping our careers small just keeps business as usual. It's a mindset. So instead, let's say, hey, both careers matter. She says we conflate money with worth, but she says just because he earns more, his career isn't automatically more important. And yes, his job pays more, but say you give up yours and then he's laid off or something else happens to upend your regular life with that big salary coming in. She says it's risky for women to give up work completely. And she says there's another reason to think twice. When women individually give up their careers for their husbands, they perpetuate this dynamic where only men and a few women make it to the top with a stay-at-home spouse and that they're the only people that can make it to the top of organizations. So it makes it really hard for people in those positions to understand the dual career dynamic. And because those people haven't experienced it, they don't really understand it, so they don't build organizations that help dual career families or single family, single parent families. And basically, deciding to prioritize a husband's career ends up being a problem of privilege, because then only families of privilege can do it. And that's what my listener is seeing all around her. But what about her feeling that putting her husband's career first would enable them to have another child? This is what we heard a lot in the women's stories that we interviewed and all the women that we've been working with since. It's this deal that my career has to be smaller because otherwise we can't achieve all these things that we want as a family. And yet when you look at a lot of the research on dual career families, what you see is that there's a lot of happiness that because both partners are sharing in this decision. And so if there's sacrifice, both families have to, both partners do it together. And, and in the long run, the family is better off because both parts of the family are contributing to it. And neither one of them feels resentment because they had to sacrifice a big, big, big part of who they are. And I don't know that that that's true, what she's saying. We had women who were very successful in their careers that had four kids. And so they figured it out. The question is figuring it out. And a lot of times what we saw with the figuring out part is that women put rules up to such like, well, I can't have my kids be with a babysitter because I need to be with my children. Rather than saying, actually, when you look at the data, there's absolutely no data whatsoever that suggests that children in daycare are worse off. As long as daycare is good, which most, if she's in this position where she can, where her husband could be the primary earner and she could scale back, they have access to really good quality daycare. And so her kids would be totally fine in daycare. It's a question of how she's viewing it. And the other piece about it is in the stories that we hear from women and that we heard in our research, there's this palpable sadness, and we hear it in this question as well. I have to sacrifice my career. I don't want to, but I can't see another way out. And this comes back to this either-or-ness. Either I'm the one taking care of the family, or I'm all in my career, rather than the nuance. And this comes right back to that first question, which is really all about, isn't there more to life? So if we look at a holistic life, there's elements of career, there's elements of family and life, and then there's elements for us. And it's the, all three of them together that make a full, rich life. Sacrificing one part of it, if that's what we want, gives you a partial life. 
And what kind of a message is that sending to our kids? She says so many of our expectations and our concerns, they spring from quite a new idea of what an ideal family looks like. We have this vision of ideal of a perfect family. And the perfect family is where the woman makes the family the priority and the man makes career a priority. And that's the ideal still, even though that ideal was invented in the 1950s. It never really existed before then because women have always worked because they've had to. It just was not paid. They were the ones feeding the farmers. You know, They were the ones doing all this work around the house. It wasn't until the 1950s when the men needed to go back to work. They needed jobs that they created this ideal woman stay-at-home thing. And so what ends up happening is, is we've created this society then, especially at the upper echelons, where you have to be all in at work, or it looks that way. And the only way people can be all in is if they're putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And that requires somebody to take care of the kids. And so if you put yourself into this 1950s mentality where I ha- somebody's got to be home with the kids, the easiest one to do it is the one who's making the, the least amount of money. Or actually, it's not even just that because you see a lot of women doing it even when they're making more money because of this ideal. I'm not getting into the argument about whether women want to stay home and all that kind of stuff because that's a totally different argument, I think. I'm really talking about the women who who really do enjoy their careers. Now, there's a lot of research that suggests that, that women do not quit to stay home. They quit because they can't figure out how to make it all work that this, the organizations themselves don't support them. Well, the good news around that is that I think men are really starting to push back. And what's happening is, in, char- in part, because there's so many dual-career families, so the men are getting as much pressure. To give you just a personal example, my husband, who is um, one of the C-level for a startup, he's got as much pressure dealing with the family as I do. In fact, in his, his work is closer to our house than my work. So he takes a lot of the doctor's appointments and all those things. So he's had to totally figure it out. But what it is, is then he becomes a role model. And he's had young men tell him that he's a role model for them, because then they realize that they can figure it out too. Why have women chosen this? Because we believe this fundamental assumption that women are supposed to take care of the kids. And it's just an assumption. When we reframe it back to my career matters, your career matters, our family matters, let's figure it out, then it's a completely different conversation. Jody Detjen. Thanks to her and Jaquette Timmons for being my guests on today's show. As usual, I'm interested to know what you think about both these questions. You can comment under this episode on the website or on the show's Facebook page. And if you're in tech, don't forget to check out the upcoming conference at rightspeakco.com. Thanks so much to all those of you who support this one-woman show. If you give monthly or you've done a one-off donation, or maybe you've donated in return for a Broad Experience t-shirt. You can find out more about that at the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. See you next time. 
Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.